0: There, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Locked on Vikings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal in the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And I also want to point you to the Locked on Fantasy Football podcast hosted by Vinny Iyer doing all kinds of awesome series. It is a year round fantasy podcast, so even in the offseason, you can get an edge if you listen to Locked on Fantasy. Every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find that wherever you find this show, wherever you find your favorites. So, without further ado, let's head on to the main topic of today's show, which is going to be about Kirk Cousins. It's been a while since we had like a Kirk Cousins one. Too long, I think, since we talked about our weird quarterback. Also, Jalen Twyman uh, has his Storytime series coming up later in the show as well. So, if you want to listen to Jalen Twyman and his journey from the projects of DC all the way to the Minnesota Vikings through Pitt, Uh, and with Aaron Donald and all that stuff then definitely stick around but first let's talk about Kirk Cousins Um, and the nature of a fourth quarter comeback I think is kind of weird because how do you measure it right how do you decide what is a fourth quarter comeback and what isn't I see a lot of people kind of say well you know let's just look at his stats in fourth quarters or maybe his stats in fourth quarters with the game within a score right but that's not necessarily a comeback right so I went through all of the fourth quarters the Vikings played in 2020. You could definitely do this for 2018 and 2019 as well. Um, I only have time to go over the one season and just kind of started going blow by blow and seeing what counted as a fourth quarter comeback situation to me. And I guess what I really want to get get at really drive at is uh, drives where you score now or die, right? Give me do or die drives. Um, you know, you the game is on the line here and that can be, you know, a two minute drill that can be down to scores beginning of the fourth quarter. And we can just kind of make, you know, there's not that many drives. There's only, you know, two, maybe three drives in a fourth quarter. So there's not that many to go over. You can do this kind of case by case. So, you know, you look at the Packers game. Well, that was a blowout. They never really had a like do this now or you're out of time kind of drive. Uh, The Colts kind of similar thing. You know, the first possession in the fourth quarter, they were down three to 25. That game's over. The Titans had one. They were down one point and uh, they scored. And that happened in the fourth quarter. So does that count as like a fourth quarter comeback? I say no. They could have failed on that drive um, and and continued. So I don't think that has the, the requisite pressure on it that we're looking for, which doesn't work in Kirk Cousins' favor because that was a pretty good drive for him. But then they go uh, punt, punt with field goals on the other side and they lose. And there actually was a uh, do or die drive at the end. So we'll look at that. We'll set that one aside. Um, Then go to the Texans game. They led the whole fourth quarter Seahawks game. There wasn't a comeback situation really until the very end where you had like 15 seconds left. Um, Otherwise, you know, it was again, one of those situations where they were either ahead or the the clock really didn't put the kind of pressure I'm looking for. Um, The Dallas game had one minute 37 uh, down three points and they went, I believe, four and out. So we'll look at that one. Um, The Panthers game actually had two. So I would definitely I'm going to be looking at both. Um, And that might be the only true comeback fourth quarter comeback situation Um, or for really the only comeback like opportunity. I would say that maybe they had a fourth quarter comeback opportunity against Tampa. We'll get to that one in a second. But their first possession, they got the ball. They were down 11 points with, I think, 11 minutes on the clock. And that, I think, is close enough to it. Look, you kind of have to score on that drive. And then they do. And then they get the ball again with no timeouts and a uh, little less than two minutes on the clock. So they need it down six, you know, go score. And then they went and scored, and they won that game. Um, and then the last one I'm going to look at comes from the Chicago game. Uh, real quick. The Tampa game was really weird where they actually did drive down the field. They kicked a field goal, but he missed a field goal and they would have gone within a So they were down two scores with like 10 minutes, nine minutes to go and kicking a field goal to go within one score. Um, and they didn't get the ball back until five minutes were left, and then they were down two scores with five minutes, which isn't really, at that point, that's kind of a game over situation. It was a weird situation, and I'm just going to kind of throw that one out because I just don't really know what to make of it, but the Vikings definitely weren't operating in any kind of you know game on the line sense of urgency in that one, which kind of helps me think eh, maybe let's throw that one out. Um, But yeah, Chicago game, the week 15, the home Chicago game, there were actually two. They got the ball down three with two fifty seven to go and two timeouts um, and they went Uh, four and out, and then they gave up a field goal and then they get the ball with 50 seconds down six, no timeouts on their own 30. Both have different dynamics. We're going to look at all the plays on both of them. So that's going to be kind of the methodology. We're going to spend the rest of the show talking about that and Jalen Twyman. And really what we're driving at here is, A, was Kirk Cousins good on these drives? Or if they failed, did they fail for a different reason? I think, you know, this is a time where it's perfectly valid to, to make an offensive line excuse if we think that's what really made, you know, if that's what really happened and make a receiver excuse if a receiver did something bad we're really trying to drive at did kirk cousins play well or not so throw the stats out throw the touchdowns out throw everything else out just we're just going to watch kirk cousins and ask if he played good and then of course kind of apply i guess a a lens of clutchness you know was he clutch in this way did he rise to the occasion or can you see effects of of, you know the the pressure of the situation kind of making him crumble um so we're going to Basically, go over all of that. First, I want to talk to you about the love and glory of Gramblin. You can bet on a lot of different stuff with the Vikings. You can bet on where where they'll place in the division. Right now, first, second, or third all have pretty close odds. So if you can guess that right, you'll make uh, more than double your money back on any of them. You can bet on if Mike Zimmer will be the first head coach fired in the NFL in 2021. If you want to be a hater about it, you can bet over under eight and a half wins. You can bet plus 120 to make the playoffs. And of course, you can bet on any other sport as well. NBA Finals, MLB, WNBA, anything you think you can gramble on and make a buck, head on over to betonline.ag. It is your one-stop shop for all things grambling, even award shows and reality TV. If you don't have an account yet, that's no worries. Go make a free one on your desktop or mobile. And when you actually make your first deposit for money to gramble with... Enter promo code lockedon. L O C K E D O N, all one word. You get a fifty percent welcome bonus. That means for every hundred bucks you put in as part of your first deposit, you get an extra fifty bucks in free play money matched by Bet Online. So you'd have one hundred fifty bucks in your account. That's promo code lockedon at betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we got six drives that we have kind of picked out here as fourth quarter comeback attempts. Um, and the first one came week three against Tennessee. They got the ball with a minute 44, no timeouts, and they needed to drive down the field, and it was an absolute catastrophe. The first one, Bradbury gives up a pressure. The second one, he actually had an open Chad Beebe, but Dozier gave up a pressure. The third one was a botched snap disaster where they lost like 16 yards. Um, You know, the kind of weird chaos that just follows Kirk Cousins around. And then another one, O'Neal pressure, play died to that, and then it was like fourth and 26, and he threw a Hail Mary INT. Um, I, I think you just throw this one out of the sample, right? Because you'd Never really got a referendum on Kirk Cousins. It was a terrible failure. And maybe you could say something like, well, maybe he should have uh, responded better and erased the pressure or anything like that. But these were pretty immediate pressures and they were kind of game, you know, play warping, breaking pressures. Uh, Really hard to watch like any of those plays and determine that they were in any way Kirk Cousins' fault. But there's certainly no credit to him either. It's just not a referendum on Kirk Cousins at all. So you throw it out of the sample. The next one came against the Dallas uh, Cowboys. They were down three with one timeout, a minute 37. So with one timeout and a minute 37, time is almost a non-factor. It's really easy to get down the field when you have the one timeout. You can use the middle of the field. You can do a no huddle. um, And if you manage the clock right, you shouldn't have any trouble at all. And the Vikings really operated that way. So the first one was curl flat, uh, a staple for them. And the read tells him flat. The cornerback plays far enough off of the line of scrimmage where the flat is there is a completion. I think to Dalvin cook four yards only takes four seconds off the clock. He gets out of bounds. The next one was a, uh, shallow cross over the middle. Look, uh, sort of a drive concept. And, uh, it was a target to Justin Jefferson that looked like it could have had a pretty good potential after the catch, but you might remember that Justin Jefferson drop, um, But again, not really acting like the clock is a factor. And I think that's probably appropriate, but it's definitely not, you know, uh, like a frantic thing. He uh, is just kind of making the read that the the secondary gives him. The third one is probably... A, a weird one to evaluate. So he threw on a levels concept to a blanketed Adam Thielen, and basically that's just Thielen ran an out route. He totally didn't win the route against Jordan Lewis, um, and and I think it might have been a pre snap look that kind of married him to that side where um, it was Thielen and I forget who the other receiver was. Were both running out routes at different depths to try to, to try to stress the receivers. Cowboys were in man coverage, and everybody on that side won. The only receiver who won their route was Justin Jefferson on the other side. But, and this is why I think it was kind of a pre-snap thing, Kirk Cousins has pre-snap reads that will allow him to eliminate an entire side of the field to make his read during the play a little bit more quick. Um, and it seemed like that was the case there because he never looked to the other side and he never saw that Justin Jefferson was open. That's the kind of thing that happens if you want to employ pre-snap reads. Um, and if you want to be able to eliminate an entire half of the field to quicken up your read and therefore make life easier for your offensive line, that comes at the cost of sometimes a guy's going to get open over there and you won't see it. It's a cost benefit thing and probably something that they decided well before the game that they were going to do sometimes. Um, And then the next play, there was some pressure, but I thought he kind of held the ball a little too long. He could have thrown it. Um, So it was a four and out, and I think you could reasonably blame him for two of those plays. So I'm going to put the Dallas one in the minus category for Kirk Cousins, but it's not that extreme. So we threw one out and we have one minus, not off to a great start for Kirk. But then we hit the Carolina game, and both of these Carolina uh, drives are going to look real good for Kirk. So the first thing that happens is he loses a bunch of yards because he trips over the offensive lineman's foot on his drop back, which again, this is like wacky once in a lifetime, once in a career stuff that just happens all the time to only Kirk Cousins. It's just this weird chaos thing. And that's why I I, he has such a, a reputation for being this kind of. Uh, chaotic quarterback, uh, you know, kind of goofball, Benny hill theme quarterback, because this kind of stuff just keeps happening to him. But then he gets a six-yard completion, um, probably a please-complete-only situation. There are times when the coach will communicate to the quarterback, hey, this is a play where we're not necessarily looking for a chunk or taking a shot at the end zone. Your priority is to get the ball complete to somebody, get the ball in a playmaker's hands. This looked like it was one of those situations. He was just trying to get the, the cleanest completion out there. Um, The next play, it was 3rd and 10, and he gets pressured, he rolls out, and he completes an absolute strike to BC Johnson. It was a phenomenal play. One of my favorite Kirk Cousins plays on the whole year from him. Um, And then there was a a 5-yard completion underneath, a couple of runs, another quick read, 6-yard gain to the sideline, a couple more runs. And then a phenomenal three play sequence to finish out the drive. So a lovely dig over the middle. Uh, then Justin Jefferson uh, killed somebody on a post corner and got a touchdown basically for free. Um, but Kirk Cousins still, I believe, had to move a little bit on that one. If I remember, um, he definitely had to move uh because it was planned, there was a play-action little fade uh, on the line of scrimmage thing for the two-point conversion to B.C. Johnson that was complete. So touchdown, two-point, total success, and Kirk Cousins had a lot to do with it being a success. He was really good on that one, firmly in the in the plus column. And then there was the second Carolina drive. So if you remember how that game went down, they scored, they took the lead, then they lost the lead, then Chad Beebe botched a punt, um, and so then they were down six with a minute 51, no timeouts. So the first play was like perfection. He climbs the pocket. He hits Justin Jefferson for 15. Absolutely cool and just dealing. Uh, Then he does a little one-step kind of rub concept to Chad Beebe for a decent chunk. A three-step drop, hit another hit over the middle. Um, it used a little bit of clock, but it converted a, a, a second down move the chains, and they had plenty of clock. 151's pretty comfortable, even without a timeout. Um, then 12 yards to BB on an absolute rope that needed zip to actually thread a, a window that was tighter than it looked. Um, then Carolina busted a coverage, and he just had to float one out to Kyle Rudolph. Um, it was almost a perfect play for him. It was kind of handed to him, but it was still really well executed. Um, a slant to Justin Jefferson was incomplete. He was pretty well covered. Um, And then Carolina oopsied another coverage A safety, totally made the wrong read, and it gave him that Chad Beebe touchdown. You probably remember that was one of the best Kirk drives of the entire season. He was absolutely dealing on it, and he was dealing on both of these. So both of these firmly in the plus column. So we'll call Kirk Cousins two and one in these. Next comes the two Chicago drives, and these are definitely not as good, but they're also weird situations. So uh, first, they have two timeouts and 257, and they're down three. That's not an urgent situation at all. That's forever and a half. you actually don't want to score too fast in that situation so they run and then he runs a texas concept for six and it looked like he kind of rushed it um there was so texas is an angle route so the halfback kind of running out toward the the like where the tight end lines up and then back over the middle and it mixes it with an out route um and both of them were open He seemed like he rushed it a little bit, even though the pocket was clean, and he dumped it off to Dalvin Cook, who got tackled for only six. The out route was open, and it looked like Justin Jefferson would have had a lot of room to run. So I think he probably should have thrown that to Justin Jefferson. He probably should have chilled out a little bit, but he was rushing it a little bit. And then they ran on the third and one that that created. It brought up a fourth and one, and then uh, there was a protection bust, basically. An unblocked dude came in and totally blew up the fourth down play. So they turn it over on downs, give up a field goal and get the ball back with 50 seconds no timeouts and on their own 30 down six um this one was like i don't know okay but he runs smash gets a 12 yard uh completion out of bounds uh the second is smash again but he throws it over the middle and it chews up a bunch of clock but there were two posts and a crosser in that particular uh iteration of smash It was a high-low concept, but it was like not trying to work the sideline at all, which I thought was a really odd choice. And I think the coaches probably said, hey, we're okay with you throwing over the middle here, even if it uh, gets rid of a lot of clock. I don't know who made that call. Whoever it is, I disagree with them. Um, Then he does another high-low underneath Irv Smith, very much rushed it from a clean pocket. He had no pressure at all, but he was rushing plays throughout this whole kind of two-minute drill, um, which is not very good. Uh, then a spike, a quick out routine out route for seven yards, and that brought up a Hail Mary situation. They were about 30 yards out with seven seconds to go, and he heaved it toward the end zone, and it was a pick. Um, this one was pretty unclutch, uh, pretty bad, nervous, rushing stuff. Um, and so I'm going to put both of these in the minus column, although the first one is, again, not that extreme. So you have two really, really good ones, a couple not great ones, and one really bad one. That's not a great track record. In fourth quarter comeback situations. I think that leaves a lot to be desired, I guess, is where this exercise leaves me. But I want to leave enough time to really talk about the Jalen Twyman situation. So we're going to move on to that. First, I want to talk to you about your car. I want to make sure that you guys are taking care of your car. Make sure you get your oil changed. If you want to save a buck when you're changing your oil, maybe pull up a YouTube tutorial, see if you can't learn how to do it yourself. And when you buy that motor oil, head on over to rockauto.com, enter your make your year and your model, and it'll do all the research for you to make sure 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 you're not like buying the wrong oil putting the wrong thing in your car Um, and you can save a buck doing that as well because if you go to a brick and mortar auto shop to buy oil they are going to upcharge you you're a retail customer and they have overhead rock auto doesn't have that kind of thing they've been doing this online for 15 years they're a family company and they're looking out for you they just give you a link straight to the manufacturer so you can just buy it straight from them instead of going through an expensive middleman so head on over to rockauto.com and in the how you heard about us section that that will pop up at checkout make sure you let them that Locked On sent you, because if you don't, I'll never be able to pay off the gambling debts the rabbits have racked up. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. I also want to talk to you about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. If it's late night and you're thinking about a snack, you're thinking about maybe uh, ruining some great momentum you have, you're trying to lose or maintain weight, look no further than Built Bar. It's low sugar, low carb, low calorie, no guilt, high protein and high fiber to boot, and it's delicious. Comes in nine awesome flavors like cookies and cream, cherry barcia, peanut butter, brownie, chocolate, orange, raspberry, all sorts of delicious stuff. And some specialty flavors that pop up on the website every once in a while as well. So keep an eye out there. Just go to builtbar.com to order a box for yourself and enter promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, all one word. You get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at builtbar.com. If you hang around Jalen Twyman enough, eventually you'll hear his mantra. Uh, it's, it goes, pressure only busts pipes or makes diamonds. Uh, And he heard it for the first time from his dad. whose name is Guy Young. Jalen Twyman grew up in the Lincoln Heights Housing Project in Washington, D.C., in the seventh ward of D.C., which is not a great area at all. And his whole childhood was surrounded by strife and tragedy and, and hard times, an experience you can probably guess about when I say that he grew up in the projects. His dad, Guy Young, had a much younger brother by the name of Parnell Motley. Yeah, that Parnell Motley, the one that plays for Washington, uh, is actually Jalen Twyman's uncle, even though he's only a year older than Twyman himself. So as uncle and nephew, they were more like brothers. They were thick as thieves. And the whole neighborhood, all the Lincoln Heights boys would play football in the torn up grass in front of their apartment building in the Lincoln Heights project. You know, the gate would be the end zone and they would like pretend that they were on their favorite NFL team and imagine, you know, being superstars and running in front of the crowd, you know, as kids are going to do. So unfortunately, when Jalen Twyman was five years old, his dad went to prison on a 10 year sentence for a drug trafficking charge. Um, and in his absence, really, uh, Parnell Motley, who had lost, you know, an older brother and a mentor and, you know, father figure kind of, and Jalen Twyman, whose father became unavailable. They really grew close in that kind of adversity. But I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, transported to another dimension or anything. They would still go visit him at the penitentiary. Um, the, the visits though were like kind of weird, I don't know. Kids have this like weird resilience where they don't fully grasp what's going on sometimes or the darkness of the situation around them. Like if you ask uh guy young now, he says like, oh yeah, Jalen Twyman would love the, uh, the, the, Jalapeno cheese curls that came out of the vending machine. He was always so excited to get them, like kind of almost unaware and oblivious that he was like in a prison. As you know, like a seven-year-old kid is kind of not going to fully get it. Um, he remembers he wasn't supposed to wear tan because that's where the inmates wore like weird details. But as he got older and he got a grasp on you know what it meant to be in a prison, um his dad was he basically like couldn't stand the the visits anymore. It, they were great. They talked about football and Jalen would talk about how much he loved taking quarterbacks and stuff he was a total defensive lineman from day one but he says that look you know my son is surrounded with enough negativity in his life and so he only visited once in the last like three years of guy young's sentence and twyman kind of took it as like a lesson and inspiration to keep it together to kind of aim for a world outside of lincoln heights outside of this life where you go to prison where you get in trouble where you're in danger all the time um and the neighborhood was kind of like a family you know all the boys would play together and everybody would kind of uh take up the the mantle of making sure that Jalen and Parnell were taken care of just like all the other kids on the on the block. And at home, uh, you know, his mom and his grandma kind of joke that he thought he was the man of the house. But if you ask him, he says, like, no, I mean, I kind of felt like I had to take care of him. I felt like I had to step up and be responsible, be the man of the house. And they had to, like, kind of pull him aside and be like, look, you're a kid. You're not in charge here. And they kind of say it with a smile, where he would, like, start trying to tell his mom what to do and stuff. But football was uh, a mainstay, was a a rock, something to be consistent in a world that is kind of always crazy and changing Um, for both Parnell Motley and uh jalen twyman so i want to take you to the year 2014 august of 2014 dexter motley jalen twyman's uncle and another one of the motley brothers died in a shooting before the season and this tragedy totally shook the family um the football season was right around the corner though and and look football again it's a lifestyle it is a thing that is never gonna leave yet and when you grow up in the projects, you know football is a lot more than just something parents shuck their uh, you know too energetic kids off into to burn off their energy. It's a glimmer of hope. I mean, it's it's a future, right? It's a way out of poverty. It'll keep you out of trouble. Keep you off the streets, and it's a reprieve from all that suffering and a way to distract from all of the pain that might otherwise usher you toward that life. And Jalen Twyman started organized football at eight years old. And by high school, he had a reputation as a total wrecking ball. So in this 2014 season, um, he was already kind of talked about as one of the bigger recruits in the area. And they would play rival Balu, Balu, I think, in the Turkey Bowl that year, probably around Thanksgiving. And just before that game, Guy Young is actually released in prison. He gets out a few years early because of a plea deal. And the thing is about this rival high school is they don't believe in Jalen Twyman and he catches wind of some social media chatter where they say he's like an overrated recruit and he shouldn't be getting all this all the attention that he's getting and he kind of takes it personally. And his dad freshly out of prison is giving him some advice on all this. And that's where he first says the mantra, pressure only busts pipes or makes diamonds. And he kind of talks to him, look, you're under a lot of pressure. You're under pressure to get your family out of poverty. You're under pressure by this rival high school and to prove them wrong. You're under pressure because now, you know, he thinks like, well, now my dad's going to watch this game is the first game he's going to watch after getting out of prison. So my dad's watching a game and he says, you know, that pressure, is it going to make you or is it going to break you? And that is kind of what makes Jalen Twyman. And in this game, in this Turkey Bowl game, he absolutely dominates. And he actually puts on a Bayou t-shirt, like Bayou football, and he, uh, when he gets a tackle over by their bench, he, like, lifts up his jersey to, to reveal the t-shirt and, like, dances at him um, as, like, a taunt to kind of say, like, you should you should have believed in me. So a couple years later, we'll fast forward, uh, Parnell Motley goes to Oklahoma, good for him, you know, again, he'll end up getting drafted by Washington, and another tragedy strikes the family uh J- Jalen Twyman's older brother, Tavon Cummings is gunned down in like broad daylight just down the road from his high school. And it's it's just like so much. He says he can feel the people's path around him. He can feel the the world of the DC projects kind of sucking him in and, and trying to take him down. And again, it's that pressure to not be taken down. And he kind of says that's gonna make me a diamond.'m This pressure will make me. And he channels it all into football. He ends up getting like 10 D1 offers, including Pitt, where, of course, Aaron Donald played. This is where Aaron Donald enters the story. So Jalen Twyman grew up idolizing Donald and kind of looking up to him and modeling his game after him and stuff. So I like to think that part of picking Pitt is wanting to, you know, go the Aaron Donald route. Um, I haven't found anywhere where he uh, he, like said that out loud, but I don't know. I like to think so. Um, And Aaron Donald still works out at Pitt all the time and he hangs around the facility and is he's, he's like plastered all over because he's like the best Pitt alum like ever. Except maybe Larry Fitzgerald, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, he's this huge superstar, right? And so... Twyman actually gets to meet him, in like, the first spring, and he's, like, in awe, and he's starstruck. Like, every Pitt freshman is like, oh, my God, that's Aaron Donald. Um, he says he was, like, a little starstruck, but AD kind of becomes a mentor to him, and the two really start to build, like, a real relationship. So his time at Petty Redshirt's year one. He doesn't get a lot of work in year two, and year three is when he really blows up. Year three is the 2019 season. Um, and before that year, he asks to get number 97. And it's kind of a whole thing. He needs approval from the coach because 97 is what Aaron Donald wore at Pitt. And, you know, you got to earn it with the work ethic, as the coaches say. And boy, did he earn it. He watches watched tape all the time. He's like a total junkie, works his tail off it in practice. Of course, he watches a lot of Rams tape. Um, and so Pat Narduzzi, head coach, signs off. Jalen Twyman takes number 20 or number 97, and he absolutely explodes in 2019. But afterwards comes 2020. And that was supposed to be a pretty good year for Pitt. But of course, COVID throws a wrench in everything. Jalen Twyman opts out and he says it's a family thing, had to help with the financials. Makes enough sense. He doesn't go into too much detail. Uh, But now it's time to prep for the draft. And so as a slightly undersized defensive tackle, he hits the weight room with the same vigor that he applies to everything else. Uh, And he talks about how, you know... A lot of protein, all natural, eats a lot of chicken and fish, no creatine, but he gets absolutely yoked. Um, The dude just explodes. He just like balloons, right? And he's just like pure muscle. If you watch any interviews with him and just like compare it to the way he looks in like training camp pictures, it's hilarious. The dude looks like a bodybuilder. Um, So at his pro day, I mean, he puts up 40 bench press reps at the pro day and he'll tell you 41 but the last rep is contested because the officials said that the spotter helped him too much on the last one and he disagrees uh but either way it breaks Aaron Donald's record and Aaron Donald was there and he was watching he was like stunned by this but unfortunately the rest of the drills don't go as well and coming off the opt-out his draft stock kind of plummets um so when Minnesota drafts him they tell him you gotta lose weight So, of course, you know, as you know, after uh, OTAs, Jalen Twyman heads back to D.C. to visit his aunt, and there he gets shot four times. But by some kind of miracle, the wounds are only superficial, and he's not even supposed to miss that much time. So, look, time will tell what the Vikings get out of Jalen Twyman on the field, but the journey to get here, to get out of Lincoln Heights in any way, is pretty damn remarkable. So... This one went uh, a lot longer than I'm used to it going, but I hope you enjoyed that story. I will see you all next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always check out the Locked On Today podcast as well for all the news all around the world of sports, hosted by Peter Bukowski. Under 20 minutes every morning, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. See you all next week, and as always, skull.